Uh, just want to welcome you for new. I know we have a lot of just new people that wander in here, visitors, uh, people crushing out, ch- checking out Christianity, the things of the Bible. So I want to make sure you understand what's happening in its basic form. This is a worship service where we uh, worship Jesus. We believe in one God who's three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and uh, God the Son, the, 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 the incarnate Son who comes in human flesh. He's fully human, fully divine, lives without sin, and he ultimately goes to a cross and dies for our sin as our substitute in our place and uh, kills it, rises, and then gifts us his Holy Spirit for those that turn and trust in his name and uses us to advance his kingdom that will ultimately be finally realized in the new Jerusalem. And so uh, there's a garden that we all got kicked out of in Genesis 3, and we're all trying to get back in there somehow through worshiping other things outside of him. And so that angst inside of you is put there by God because your heart was made for eternity. And only when it's found in Jesus Christ can life begin to make sense and can you actually have fullness of joy. We want to always say we'll never mistake that it's the easiest life but it is the best life uh, because it's with Christ. And so um, we love to worship this Jesus through singing. That's why we just sang songs that talk about who he is and what he's done. We worship Jesus by looking at the Bible, which is his uh, revelation to us, which uh, talks about Jesus. If you're wondering, hey, what does the Bible center on? Uh, It all centers on Jesus. So whether you're in Genesis, Revelation, Habakkuk, or James, uh, the shadows of Jesus are in there to point you to him and his person and his work. And then we also worship Jesus by being generous. We give. We give on the little silver boxes in the back. Uh, if you're new visiting, not a regular attender, we don't want your money. We're not looking for funds. We want you to know this Jesus that, that died for sin and offers reconciliation with God. And so um, it, it's a joy to, to be together uh, and worship him. And then, and then finally, we worship at the Lord's table at the end of the service, not because it's a, a, an act of making us more righteous. It does not give us right standing. It does not give us salvation. It, in fact, is a gift Jesus gave to us as his people so that we might be nourished and reminded of the saving benefits of Jesus Christ. And so um, that, that's what we're doing. Um, before we um, dive into Habakkuk, uh, which, yes, it is a book. I had a number of you write this week and go, man, I didn't know Habakkuk was in my Bible. Yeah, it's, it's there. Thrilled that we at least crossed that plane. Now we're, now we're going to open it up. We're going to look at it. It's a well of treasure. It is deep and vast with profound fruit uh, for us. And so it's going to be an awesome seven, eight weeks. I say, say seven or eight because I never know how long I'll go. So, uh, but seven or eight. Uh, don't cap me at that, but, but that's what we're going to do uh, to look at. But I want to give you guys just ways of prayer, three things. We want to expand our reach as far as giving and being generous to uh, the gospel going forth in the nations, being a part of Acts 29. We, um, they, they created an emerging region in the Middle East, and so there's three that we're um, talking with and praying for. One's in Pakistan, one is in Dubai, and one is in Lebanon. So uh, those are both significant places that are ripe for the gospel to penetrate and multiply. So would you just pray that God would give us clarity there, uh, that we keep being generous and uh, looking outward in that way. Um, The other thing I wanted to say is as I was in my study before the first service, um, I always take time just to pray and prepare myself. And uh, I was just so encouraged and thankful that God has given us a church that receives difficult texts eagerly. I uh, just want you to know that. Like, like Habakkuk's not a light book. It's not going to just be, you know, cute and fuzzy and, and make you warm. It's probably going to depress you uh, in, in many ways, uh, just like Ecclesiastes and James. And, but that's because joy is found in an unexpected place. And unless you, you peel back the layers of this onion and let God get down to the root of things, you'll never really experience the depth of his profound love and work for you. And so um, that's our prayer. But just I'm grateful that you guys receive texts 
eagerly. So that's going to be Habakkuk. So uh, open up to Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, we're going to just going to cover four verses today. If you don't have a Bible, verses will be on the screen for you. Um, listen, it is totally possible, even probable, that you've gone your entire life not hearing one sermon on Habakkuk. Uh, even if you grew up in, a, in the church, right? So it's very possible that you grew up hearing sermons and sermons and series and never once heard one on Habakkuk. And so um, we're going to learn that there are profound things in this book. You're going to learn how does uh, God's sovereign rule and reign intersect with evil and suffering and pain and plight and difficulty. Um, how can God be all good and all knowing with these things in this fractured folly uh, land that we live in? Um, where is God when he seems silent? How does us communicating with God and hearing from God, how does that make sense uh, in light of the situation? that we find ourselves in with moral corruption, institutional chaos. Uh, it's, it's a very, very relevant and useful book. So this is uh, going to be great for us. Um, we know almost nothing about Habakkuk himself, nothing about his family tree, his ancestry. Um, really, I think he's quoted three times in the New Testament, but he's never named. So Hebrews, uh, Romans, and Galatians all reference Habakkuk, but they never give his name. And um, we don't even know how to pronounce it. So listen, some of you, uh, I realize there is widespread historical debate on how you pronounce this book. Okay, I just said Habakkuk. Some of you guys know it's Habakkuk. Well, that's fine. We figured it out. It's Habakkuk. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, if you got issues with that or that hurts you or that harms you, just, just pray about it. Okay, give it to the Lord. Go home. Send me an email. I'll delete it. Let's just move. Let's just move forward. I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, it's just so amazing what we get caught up in. That's the work of the enemy. I mean, just it's Habakkuk. So uh, I've already had those conversations. Love you. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, love that. Exposed, right? So um, but let's just, let's just walk in this grace together. Habakkuk is, it's Akkadian in nature. So actually, no one knows how to rightly say it. So if someone says it a way you don't like it, just say, good. Okay, so that, that's where we're at, Habakkuk. But here's what we do know. And what we do know is important. We know that he is a prophet, okay? Um, if you're unfamiliar with prophets, a prophet is someone who was sent from God to speak for God on behalf of God, usually to tell the nation of Israel to turn back to God, repentance and faith. They'd wandered from him. They'd chosen their path and not his path. So he said, hey, let's, let's get back on the right path. That's what a prophet did. And um, what you need to know is there's, there's lots of types of revelation we have. Um, there is general revelation, which is is we get from creation, we can see aspects of God in creation, aspects of God in our conscience. There's a discerning of right and wrong, of, of good and evil. But there's also special revelation, and that's where God speaks to a specific person or group of people of certain things. And that's what he is doing through the prophet Habakkuk. And uh, what he does here is um, we're going to learn this is something he saw. Uh, this is something that God revealed to him in this vision. Um, and so as he speaks to him, it's faithfully recorded in the scripture. So I always say, listen, if you want to uh, want a word from God, simply read the word of God. Uh, some of you guys are like, man, I really want God to speak to me. Uh, good news, he has on uh, 66 books in the Bible. You can actually take one for free on your way out, and every time you open it, he'll speak to you, and he'll say something, amen? Okay, so, so we love this Bible because God has spoken, God has said things, and he's put it to us in his written revelation so that we might know how he's designed the world to live and how reconciliation can be had for sinful men and women who are separated from him. So um, God gives this vision to Habakkuk, and we don't know exactly what he saw, but God wanted him to record it and put his response here in this word. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter, 1 verse 1. Here's what it says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Isn't that exciting? Um, it's not. Uh, but it is important. Oracle is burden. Okay, he's feeling burden. He's feeling lament. He's feeling perplexed. He's feeling frustrated. 
Um, This oracle brings about the idea that his motions are tangled up. Um, And really shortly, uh, his burden, this is what it is. To really understand his burden, I have to give you a little bit of history. So if you shoot back all the way to, really, you could even start at eternity past, and God in his great delight, he creates the world, right? Uh, He just speaks things into existence. Then he makes the first man and woman, right? If you're familiar or not familiar, you you at least probably heard of that, right? He forms Adam and Eve, the first marriage union. And um, it isn't long before uh, sin, fracture, folly, pain enters through them choosing not to worship God, but worship other things, worship them. They don't want God to run their life. They want um, themselves to run their life. And so they buy the life from the enemy and, and, and sin enters human history. And as you kind of follow throughout salvation history, um, these different things happen. God judges and, and God brings about the flood and then people turn back to God. And then they, they fall away from God. Then they turn back to God. And you eventually get to Genesis 12, not far in, where you've got this guy Abram. Okay, Some of you guys know him as Abraham. His, his name's changed to Abraham later because that's the plural Hebrew name because God comes to him and says, even though you're super old, in your 90s and wife is barren and can't have kids, I'm going to give you a child. You're going, to, you're going to learn to believe in me, trust me, have faith in me, and through that child, you're going to have lots of children who will create descendants who will ultimately grow up into this nation. Now, this nation is going to be a mighty nation. It's going to be a big nation. It's going to be a powerful nation. I'm going to bless that nation. So everybody that looks at you says, man, their God's the real God. Their God's the true God. I want to worship that God. That was the whole reason, right? Is so the nation wouldn't be about themselves internally, but look externally at the God who saved and brought them out of slavery. And so you'll, you'll, you'll read through the scriptures as you see. They eventually get uh, enslaved in Egypt, and God delivers them through Moses. Uh, and eventually they come out, and they're grumbling, and they're wandering. They're going, God, we want a king. And he's like, I am your king. They're like, yeah, we want a man. So he says, okay, well, let's give you Saul, right? Tall, dark, handsome, everything else. So here, here's Saul, and he's a horrible king, deplorable king, wicked king. Man, he, he does not love God, does not walk in the ways of God. And then eventually, uh, Saul, dies, Saul dies off, and, and, and it's the first time, this is now 400 years before Habakkuk gives this uh, vision, he gives this oracle, 400 years before this, God appoints his first chosen king, and it's David, okay? Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably know who David is. You probably know that he killed Goliath, some giant, right? Well, there's a lot more to it. Um, David's a man who did love God. He actually sees the law that God gave God's people back in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The law was designed not to show you that you could keep the law, but to show you that you can't keep it and need someone who can. So he goes, man, I love the law. He wrote Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible on why he loves the law, right? We scoff at it. He loved it because he knows that it showed this is how God's designed the universe to work. So he loves him. He's not perfect, right? We know he has lots of sin, lots of rebellion, yet he's repentant. He turns back to God. He's doing well. Eventually, David dies, and even though he, he kind of honed up the 12 tribes of Israel, there's unification in the land of the nation. Things are going pretty well. Solomon comes in, his son, and this is the golden age of Israel. If you, you read the history books, I mean, everyone's 401k is up. Unemployment is down. Murder rate's 1%. Everyone else is employed. Things are going well. And then, you know, we read Ecclesiastes last summer. Um, Solomon just becomes wicked, the lust of his flesh. God judges them. Eventually, Solomon doesn't get that kingdom anymore, but God does say while he's king, he does say, I want you to build a temple. Sounds like a temple. He goes, yeah, I want you to build a temple, and I want it to be so ornate and so awesome that when that I'm going to put my presence there, I'm going to put my name there so people know that I am holy and that they're not holy, and they're going to not mess with the temple, and they're not going to mess with God's people. And so he builds this amazing, amazing temple, and he puts his presence there. That's where the people would come to worship, and eventually he, he dies off. And then um, what happens is his kids fight. They're moron kids, and so all the 12 tribes 
separate. So you got 10 that moved to the north, that's Israel. Two that moved to the south, that's Judah. And in the north, man, they're not doing well. They have lots of different kings. They worship lots of different gods. The Assyrians come in, take them out, lead them into exile. Meanwhile, Judah down in the south, these two little tribes are doing okay until this uh, other king Ammon comes in and he starts erecting other temples to worship other gods. Uh, Just gets really, really bad. Wickedness ensues. Tons of idolatry. And then eventually he dies and Joseph Josiah takes the throne. Now, Josiah is eight when he takes the throne. <laughs> Seriously, can you imagine that? You guys who have kids, they're eight years old. Which favorite color? Blue. Cool, fit to run the country. Right? Can you imagine that? I mean, that's what, he's eight. He's eight, and he takes the throne. He becomes 16, and here's what happens. He remembers the temple that Solomon built, and he says, hey, we got to restore this thing. So he goes back to restore the temple. As they're working through the, the rubble of it all, he finds a scroll that has the Torah, the law that God gave God's people, and he starts weeping. Why? Because the law is meant to reveal your sin and show you that you need someone else to come in as a redeemer. And so he just starts weeping. He calls the nation of Israel back to God, and people return to God. They're following God. They're obeying God. They're loving God. They're listening to God. And then eventually Josiah leaves, and then it just plummets for 11 years, and Habakkuk shows up. And, I mean, we don't even have time to get into the the, the socioeconomic strife. You've got the Egyptians, Assyrians, Chaldeans flanking them. It's like taking ISIS and Iraq and North Korea and others, and they just put themselves in America and just start sweeping the states, enslaving and slaughtering everyone they see. Terrifying. And, and this is where Habakkuk steps in and gets this oracle, feels this burden. And this is what happens because now the wickedness in Judah is worse than it was before Josiah even took office. Can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, being in a time of just flourishing and people are loving God, worshiping God, and obeying God, and, and all seems right. I mean, in the, in the church and among people, there, there's unity, there's, and then all of a sudden there's wickedness, and then it's worse than it was before. Can you imagine how discouraging that might feel? And, and here's what his response is, verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Uh, you feel him? He's frustrated. He's angry. You don't, you don't need a professor or a preacher or anyone to tell you what he's feeling. He's perplexed. He's in anguish. He's, he's despondent. How could you allow these things to happen? How could you allow these racial tensions? How could you allow this political corruption? How could you allow, you're doing nothing. You're on your throne doing nothing. Resonate with that? You seem to be absent. I keep crying to you and I hear silence. Do something, involve yourself. Right? That's what, that's what he's saying. Um, can you relate to Habakkuk? God, my, my kids are rebelling. How long until they return to you? God, I've been going to counseling for months. When will this situation ever get fixed? God, we've been in financial straits for years. Are you ever going to come through for us? Uh, you could just give your list in there. And that's not ungodly because this is a godly man. And he loves the Lord. And he's honest with God. And he just lays before the Lord these things that he is feeling. Now, see, culturally you got to understand something as he's saying this. They're in a position where internally they're imploding. 
They've abandoned God in his ways, but externally, I, I told you, they're, they're, they're feeling the pressure of being overtaken by institutional chaos. So there's all this unrest in lots of different ways. But on top of that, they're ignoring the word of God. So it's not just externally they're feeling all these things. It's internally they're not following the Lord. Now listen, there are four prophets that come at this time and speak to God's people during this. I think the other three are Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah. Listen, when you've got four prophets that show up to your doorstep to tell you something, you should probably listen. Right? I mean, God's probably trying to say something. He's trying to wake them up. He's trying to get them to get on God's path to turn back to God. So this is all happening at the same time. And so here he's saying in these verses, look outside. It doesn't look like it's going well socially, politically, relationally. Habakkuk's going, I thought the promise to Abram that salvation was going to come through my line, that there was going to be a Messiah, right? That's the whole Testament, right? The, the law was given to show you that, man, I can't follow this God, Ten Commandments, and then, hey, there's a deliverer coming. That was the promise that the people of Israel clung to. There's someone coming that's going to deliver us. And we know that person is Jesus Christ who comes and perfectly fulfills the law. He has the perfectly obedient life for us that we could never live that would attribute ourselves to a holy God. So instead of us ascending to him, he descends to us. Us, but he's going at this point before the cross going, it doesn't look like salvation's going to happen. I mean, look at the state of our nation. Look at the state of, our, of your people. Where are you? Do something. Show up. And that's what he says in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So not only internally are they a mess. Externally, the, cro- the cops are crooked, the government's crooked, the lawyers are crooked, the teachers are crooked, your neighbor's crooked, everybody's crooked. Man, there's an even God if something bad happens. You're not getting any justice. You're not showing up. We have a massive problem. He is bringing us back to there's something fundamentally wrong. Listen, I say all the time, you walk out these doors and you know something has gone terribly wrong. It's broken. Right? The universe is broken because of sin, and God is the only one who can rectify that and ultimately will remake the new Jerusalem, right? where all that are his will reign and rule. But until then, we're in this job of, of calling on him, finding our life in him, and telling everyone else about him. And, and here he's going, he's seeing all these things, and he's saying, man, justice won't even go forth. The law you put in place that was supposed to reveal our sin and bring us back to you, it's paralyzed, it's not even working. People don't care. So what's the use of your law anymore? He's exacerbated. I mean, listen, the more you read the Bible, the more heartbroken you'll become at culture. The more you see the way God made the world and will remake the world, you can't help but grieve and long for it, right? I mean, if you only looked at your bookends of the scriptures, Genesis, paradise, then you see it lost and then paradise restored, it also helps you understand your heart. Because we all got kicked out of the garden and we're all trying to get back there. But the only way back there is Jesus, except we replace it with money and idolatry and things and relationships. And we strive after everything else to try to get back to paradise, to have our hearts settled. Yet nothing will do it until Jesus invades your black, dark soul. Right? And that's what, that's what we see unveiled in the law being paralyzed. He's thinking it's paralyzed, yet we know that God sits above that. And so here, these are the things that he's feeling. So he has two questions. First one's, how long? Can you relate? How long? Lord, I mean, your patience seems like it's got to wear out soon. How long do I keep praying until I see this thing answered? His other question is why. And that's a, that's a great question. That's a righteous question. It's not an unrighteous question. Why? 
Why are you allowing this? Why do you seem to be silent? Why are you sitting seeming to be absent? Why are things the way they are? Why does it seem like the bad guys are winning and the good guys are always weeping? And his example is incredibly helpful because his questions are our questions. And if you're not there, you'll be there. And if you're not there, you come from there. But eventually all of us hit the rubber in the road with these questions. So what I want to do for the remainder of our time is not basically uh, exegetically break down his frustration. I want to just look at what we can learn from just these four verses. And we're going to learn a lot more in the coming weeks. But I heard the Lord say stop and just let's be encouraged with these. I've got three comforts and one call. Three comforts and one call. Um, The first one is this comfort. Learn to battle frustration with God by bringing frustrations to God. Um, We have no idea how to grieve. Did you know that? Any of you didn't know that, I'm telling you that. Like, like as a culture, we're a train wreck. We have no idea how to rightly grieve, right? We, social media doesn't help, right? We put all our, our best foot forward, right? This is awesome. Never say, hey, I just got acne, divorced, and I'm just trying to figure out life, and I'm bankrupt. Like, we, none of us put that out on Instagram. That's not going to be tonight, right? It's, hey, this is where I was. Hey, check out me, you know? Like, this is awesome, right? I'm so cool. I mean, it's, that's, that's social media, right? And, and culture just perpetuates that and exacerbates that. But here... Habakkuk shows us a a totally different way because some of us grew up thinking in the church that if you're frustrated with God, that that somehow that means that you just bury your emotions high and just keep singing and just wear a smile. Anything but what the scriptures will lay before you. There's authenticity, there's vulnerability, there's honesty. You know, most people, um, when you talk to them here, probably on Sunday mornings, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Glad we caught up. See you next week, right? You go to Habakkuk. He shows you a very different way. How you doing? Not good. That's okay. Tomorrow's another day. It'll probably get worse. (laughs) That's okay. Lights come at the end of the tunnel. No, there's no light. I see it, but it's leaving. (laughs) That's Habakkuk. He shows you a very different way. We're so fake. We're so fake. Aren't we? I know you're laughing at yourself. (laughs) Right? Because it's just this, we're plagued by it. Appeasement. What we look like, veneer. You know what's amazing about this, though? Is Habakkuk has discovered something that protects you and allows you to speak and communicate with God in a very, very different way that glorifies his name and helps your joy. And what Habakkuk has discovered is this is the other thing you need to see. You need to see On the one hand, Habakkuk is bringing his frustrations to God, right? He's challenging God. He's honest with God. You can't get away from it. He's doing that. Where are you? How long I'm crying for your help. So on the one hand, you see him being honest with God, bringing his frustrations to God, challenging God. On the other hand, he never, and you can read the rest of this book, he never even hints, he never even seems to give the thought that walking away from God is an option. This is profound. So, so here's what he's saying here. He, he's showing here that in some way, because he's not blogging about it, he's praying. He's faithfully wrestling with God, getting to a place where there's something he knows about God and himself to where he can bring his frustrations to God, but know that the worst place to go is away from God. And, and so here, here's what's, what's happening here is um, I've been talking to 
people about God for a long time. Just because it's not because I'm, I'm holy, it's because I'm a pastor. So no matter what conversation I get into with people, God comes up, right? Oh, you're a pastor. Usually they run or they stay for like five minutes and just accuse me of something. So it's really nice. See, that's, that's kind of the way how my life is. So, so people are usually asking me questions for talking about God, but, but here's what I find. The longer I walk with and pastor people who talk about God or talk with God is almost no one talks to him like the Bible reveals it. Almost no one has a relationship with him like we see in Habakkuk, like the Bible shows us. Because you have kind of two camps. You have the super religious traditionalists, and they go, you can't question God. You can't ask him anything. He's a king that sits on a throne, and you've got to appease him. So what's important is acting, saying, walking right. Um, well, that's not good and not biblical. On the other side, you have this modern mind that just says, who are kind of like cultural liberalists who say, well, man, if God is good and there's evil and suffering, I want no, no part of that, man. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm out of here. But here's what Habakkuk has found here. The modern mind that has this enormous amount of confidence in human reason and perception who says, I don't see how God could bring any good out of this. Habakkuk has neither. He does not have dishonest appeasing of God, and he also doesn't have an honest, frank rejecting of God. He has faithful, holy wrestling with God. And there's only one reason why he can have this. He's discovered something. He's discovered grace. He's discovered the grace of God. Only the grace of God could do this. See, see, this is not a question of, man, don't question God or I'm just going to leave God. It's the same thing that Peter says in the Gospels where he comes to Jesus and there's, there's heartbreak before him, there's suffering before him. He goes, man, Jesus, where else am I going to go? I got nowhere else to go. I mean, you got the keys to eternal life. I mean, who else am I going to go to for help? I mean, the, more, and the only thing more terrifying than just um, injustice and horror and tragedy is God not being over that. The only thing more terrifying is that God's not in control of that, that God has no hand in that, that God has no means for that. That's more terrifying than just wandering away and saying, I want nothing to do with you. And, and here he's showing us that there is this place you can live in where I can't leave you. He's saying, man, if I can't figure out how to do life with you, I can't possibly figure out how to do life without you. And that grace keeps in there because he, here is what, Habakkuk understands. Habakkuk understands because it takes grace and the gospel to produce this type of person. Why? Here's why. Why does God, because this is the thing I'm always asking, why does God leave this prayer in the Bible for us? Like, why does God give us Habakkuk, not Habakkuk? Why does God give us Habakkuk? Why does he give us these prayers? Because you know what's insane? You'll see next week. God answers him. Oh, <laughs> God answers him. What a moron. You're so stupid. You're not doing this. Okay, let me, let me talk to you. Let me answer you. God doesn't have to answer him. God does not have to show mercy. Here is what Habakkuk understands. Um, God put this in his word for us to read to show us and remind us that he preserves these prayers to show us that he remains their God, not because of their self-control. He remains our God, not because of our appeasement and our articulation and our mood. He remains our God because of crazy grace. An unconditional, covenanted, committed love. That's why we can approach him like this. 
That's why you could ever say things like this. The reason he's a, he has freedom to make these types of questions is he knows something about the grace of God. Friends, he's discovered something in the gospel. He knows that God makes a covenant with those who are his based upon nothing that you do. Your church attendance, your prayers, your Bible reading, your giving. Man, listen, none of that is gonna build up stock for you on the day of judgment. Jesus Christ, who's your champion, who's gonna stand in your place for you, says, hey, I'll do it. I'll live the spotless, blameless, holy life for you. I will take the wrath of God in your place. I will be your substitute for your sin. And he becomes your life. When you become a Christian, there's this word union with Christ. You become one with him. And we celebrate that because, man, we couldn't do it. There's nothing we could do or perform or do to appease this God. And he descends as we tirelessly try to ascend to him. And Habakkuk realizes this profound grace. So he knows that his relationship with God isn't limited to how he prays to him or how he articulates things, or questions that he asks. Man, the covenantal love of God in Christ is the only thing that could possibly keep him from running from God in tragedy and suffering, and at the same time knowing that he doesn't have to have this dishonest appeasement of his name. And he shows it to him here as he speaks like this. This is powerful. You know your salvation isn't based on you doing everything right. You know what that does? It convinces you you have no other place to go. And it also gives you freedom so you could never leave him. That's how you begin to deal with troubled times. You have to start there. Here's a second comfort I want to give us from this text. Speaking honestly to God is what actually grows intimacy with God. Now, some of you guys, there's no intimacy at all with God because you're never honest. You thought that you were like the scribes and Pharisees that came in. You just had to have all these external ways that you pray and talk. See, the, the God Habakkuk spoke to, his name is Jesus. Jesus was God, God in human flesh. He's the same God, Holy Spirit, Son, Father. One God, three distinct persons. Jesus comes. You know what Jesus does in his life here, in his ministry here? He fully identifies with every bit of what you'll feel. And I love this because then as he goes to the cross, dies for sin, rises, he now sits as a high priest, the Bible says, that now identifies with your every weakness. So now you approach his throne of grace, not scared, not with trepidation, but with eagerness, with courage, because, man, he identifies with every bit of what you feel. He lamented over the city of Jerusalem. He lamented next to the tomb when his friend Lazarus was dead. He lamented in the garden when the Father was speaking to him. He knows what it's like to ask questions. He knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what it's like to feel sorrow and anguish. Yet he never sinned. But his humanity gave him that so that as he saves men and women like us, you have a God that absolutely knows what you're feeling and thinking. He's not abstract. He's not stay away from me. He's not you can't approach me. That is good news for us. But it comes by speaking honestly to God. So you might say, I'm frustrated and distressed, Jesus. Yeah, I know. I sweat drops of blood. I was so distressed. Well, God, I've lost someone that I've, I've loved. Yeah, I know. I sat by the tomb. Read John 11. I wept uncontrollably. Well, God, I feel forsaken. I feel abandoned. Yeah, I actually said on the cross to my own father, why have you forsaken me? See, see, Jesus is not some untethered God. He's a God that deeply ministers to the depths of your soul in ways that no other God could because no other God rose 
and no other God is intimate like Jesus and offers relationship based on what he has done, not based on what you can do. That's good news. See, guys, some of my greatest moments in my intimacy with the Lord is not simply when I talk with God, but it's when I'm honest with God. <laughs> it's not just when I like say prayers. It's when I'm really honest. Um, and that's why, man, we pray. I mean, in God's providence, having corporate prayer on Wednesday. We pray at 8.15 on Sunday mornings. Man, just hearing other people be honest with God and bring their petitions and prayers to them. Man, I love hearing other people just be honest with the Lord. And they're, they're some, of my, some of my favorite times, man, when I'm, I'm in my study in the morning, I'm praying for the service to happen, and, and I just, man, I get to sit there and just be honest with the Lord. Man, I'm not sure I really know what to say today. Like, I got, there's, a, there's a counseling situation. I'm not even really sure I know the answer for that. And then let God meet me in his godness and in his grace and put a blanket around me and encourage me with how sufficient he is and how ill-sufficient I am. Lose confidence in you might gain confidence in me. There's ministry that happens there. Number three, third comfort. This is very important. Um, learn to trust divine revelation to be more reliable than human observation. This is huge, living as a Christian, living the Christian life. You're gonna see so many things, feel so many things, and you're gonna be prone to make uh, assumptions and assertions about certain things based upon your human observation and not on what God has said. Um, I find that most people choose what they will believe based upon what they desire and not what is actually true. Listen, there, there are many things in here I choose to believe not because I like them. Like, I don't like everything in here. There's things I wrestle with, things I ask God to give me illumination for, but man, I'm believing it because God's word has said it. Like, I, I, got, I got no other place to go. I mean, I, I can go to, man, pathologists and psychologists and everybody else. I mean, I, have other, even though I go to the front row of the bookstore at Barnes & Noble and try to find five ways to a happy life. I, I can try all those things, but man, nothing does it like the word of God. <laughs> so even if I don't like it and I know it's the medicine I need, man, I will ask God for help to even believe the parts that I don't believe. When was the last time you just prayed that or asked God that or were that honest before the Lord in that way? May God help my unbelief. These are the areas where I'm really strong. These are the ways where I really understand you. These are the ways where I'm really struggling. This is where I'm really challenged. This is where there's not clarity. What a gift to have that in our God. Maybe some of you, um, maybe some of you just feel like you got punched in the soul. And, and I want to encourage you, the scripture will say that if you're in Christ, it's never punitive, it's only formative. It's never God punishing, it's God forming you. You know how I know that? You know I got evidence for that? Because every bit of wrath that was supposed to be rightly poured out on Mike Reed and you was totally spent on Jesus Christ. So I got objective evidence that when I walk through hardship and pain, when God gives me a thorn to level my pride or ruin me to a place where I just need him and I'm, I'm, I'm made aware that I need him more than I need anything else than, than attendance and a church and a family and a spouse. When I'm drawn to that place, man, I'm in a, in a safe place. I'm in a healthy place. I'm in a place where he has now brought me to a place of desperation saying, okay, he's my hope. He's my portion. I have no other place to go. Where am I going to go? 
And that, that's what he's trying to do. So, so be careful on your observation of what God has already said. You've got you to be rooted. That's why we say all the time, you've got to be rooted in the gospel. It's not the, some, just the thing that saves you. It's the thing that continues to sustain you. I mean, his covenantal love for you is what reminds you in those moments where you're being prone to do something, try to appease him more, make him have more favor towards you. You remember the unbelievable news that Jesus has done it, and he looks at you with a smile. He, he actually likes you. I know, crazy. He actually likes you because of Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful. So my hope is that you would bring your frustrations to God and speak honestly, allowing him to sweep you up in his godness and grace. Because you know what God's plea has always been for you and me? And I don't know what you've been taught growing up. I don't know your theology. I don't know your background. God has always taught you his primary goal for you is him. Have me. Love me, worship me, find forgiveness in me, find life in me. It's always been have him. So if all else is lost, you still stand on solid ground. Identity is unshakable in him. It's not in your family. It's not in your relationships. It's not in your work. It's not in your bank account. It's not in anything because all those things are terrible gods. They're functional saviors that will always disappoint you. So he wants you to know, man, my goal for you is me, be satisfied in me. So when he, you know what's awesome? Then everything else that happens in my life is mercy. (laughs) Everything else is mercy. No matter how horrible it gets, that's mercy because the worst was spent on Jesus. Right? So encouraging. I don't know if you're alive, but it's encouraging. Um, Let me give you this. Haggai, two prophets. You'll see this just just over time in the prophets. Um, they all say the same message, have God, turn to God, he's your reward. Uh, Haggai, he, he's this prophet that came um, while they were trying to rebuild Solomon's temple and, and it just didn't look like it used to look and they're so discouraged and they're weeping and they're crying. They were weeping so loud that neighboring countries said they could hear the people weeping. That's like us hearing New York City weep. And, and he comes in and Haggai's got this pep talk from God to encourage him, look at what he says. Two, verse four, he says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I am with you. Oh, that's all we get? I was looking for like some encouragement. You're with me? I have you? According to what? According to his promise, his covenant that he made when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. God's saying, this is what I've always promised you. My promise has always been me. It hasn't been no suffering. It hasn't been lack of financial security. It hasn't been any of those things. Man, my my promise has always been me. I mean, if you go through the New Testament, what is the the overarching promise, man? If you remain in him, what? He'll remain in you. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus' great edict, going to all nations, baptizing and preaching the gospel, teaching everyone to obey him, and what? What's the promise? I'll be with you. And just in case you're wondering how long to the end of the age. That's always been his promise. John 14, John 17, my, my spirit's not going to leave those who are mine. Man, listen, God's promise for you is God. His reward to you is himself. That is the only way Habakkuk could possibly begin to talk to God like this and pray prayers like this. See, some of us come in here and we go, man, what am I going to get from following Jesus? What am I going to get from, from God? Um, God. 
No, 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 I know that. Like, I know I get relationship with the God of the universe. Like, I know I get forgiveness of sin. I know I get, I get an above reproach, spotless, holy life. Colossians chapter 2, man. I know Jesus takes my place. I know I get an eternal inheritance when I die. I got a home waiting for me. I got planets that I own because everything Jesus is an heir of, I'm an heir of. I know that I have eternity waiting for me. I know that I have a God now that's with me. I know I have a new family that's redeemable, not broken and shattered. And all the sin sickness in me is being repaired by Jesus. But, but what else? I don't know what else to tell you, brother. What else? That's what he's promised you. And that's what he's given to you in Christ. So you're the freest man in the world. You don't need to live for people's approval. It doesn't really matter how healthy your financial state is. Because Jesus is with you. My favorite moment when I'm praying before service is when I have those moments. And I've had them. Where I'm like, man, I just feel either, man, I'm unqualified. I'm, and Jesus says to me, you are. But I'm with you. Like, I'm with you. Like Moses, I'll be your mouthpiece. He's like, man, I got a speech impediment. I stutter. He's like, that's okay. Go in there. I'll speak for you. Man, that's the God of the Bible. That's a God that we worship. Last one, Malachi. He, he comes at the end, the end of exile. And this is what he says. This is awesome. He talks about the purifying work of Jesus. He says in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For he, Jesus Christ, is like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner of fire and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. <laughs> Malachi is saying, Jesus desires to purify and prepare his bride. That's the beauty of the grace in this gospel. Um, the purpose of a refiner's fire was never to destroy the metal, but purify it. And fuller's soap was never meant to actually destroy cloth. It was to make it really white. So, so he's showing this, he's using this analogy here, and he's showing this, that Jesus' work in the life of a Christian is designed to make you more like Jesus, to give you more of him, to show you that you want to look more like him. Because any, in ancient, um, ancient history, anyone knew who was a refiner of metal knew that you knew it was totally finished when all the slags and impurities were off and you could hold up your metal and you could perfectly see your reflection. So until we purpose, per perfectly see the reflection of Jesus in our metal, he's not done. Man, and he might put some hard things. But he's in, he's, he's in the business of making you more like his son. And that's joy for us. There's more at work here. There's a reason for maybe his silence in your life. His apparent silence. He always answers now, later, no. But he always answers. We need to learn to trust divine revelation over human observation. What has God said? What has he promised me? It's very important. Finally, uh, a call. So you got three comforts and then a call. Now, this is actually a call to repent. Heart change leads to hands that follow. Here's why I say this, um, and this is a key component for you to get in your head for weeks to come, okay? As you read this text, as you read kind of prophets and stuff, um, this violence, this justice not going out has nothing to do with Assyria, with Egypt, with the Babylonians coming after them. It has to do with the people of God. He's saying, man, why are you allowing your people to be in this state? Why are you allowing them to continue to wander from you? Why are you allowing them to not be revived again? 
And here's why I, I say this. Some of us take texts like this and we totally misapply it. And it's, it's, it's pretty sloppy. And this might poke some of us. But you've got to understand, some of us take these, these texts like this and we say, okay, well, look at how God judged Judah. So he's judging America. And unless America turns back to God, then nothing's going to happen. Let me tell you something, though. God's relationship to Israel here is not at all like, it's nothing like his relationship to America. Israel was God's chosen nation. America is not God's chosen nation. Do you know what happens? Jesus comes, Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises. You know what he says? Good all nations. You, you want to know who are his? People from every tribe, every tongue, all nations, and it starts with the church. It starts with individual, internal conversion through the light of the gospel who believe that Jesus dies for sin, Jesus rises for sin, and it starts there in the church. They begin to make disciples. It flows out. It changes cultures, which transcends governments, which transcends institutions. Man, we're not looking for America to turn back to God, then we'll be good. Man, no, we're looking for the Christians, the people of God, to repent where they need to repent and continue to follow him. It starts with the church. It starts with us as Christians. Because here's the thing. Now, here's the, the crazy lie. Some of us are so preoccupied with God's apparent lack of justice that we're blind to our own front door. And we are so, by nature, conditioned to call everyone else to repent, right? Government needs to repent. President needs to repent. Neighbor needs to repent. Man, my lawyer needs to repent. My teacher needs to repent. No, you and I need to repent. We need to repent for our lack of love. We need to repent for the ways that we dishonor his name. We need to repent for the ways that we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. We repent for the ways that we are not showing the justice of God. Repent for the ways that we do not love and lead our families. Repent for the ways that we do not love him and obey him and follow him. Like, man, when it, when it starts here, right? First Peter 4, the household of God. Man, when it, starts, when it starts here, I mean, that's when God starts to work. That's God's plan, by the way. God's plan is not to wipe out rulers and authorities and replace them with Christian ones. Right? That's not God's plan. Now, he can. We should pray for them. We should pray for God to move through them and work through them and turn their hearts. But that is not where our hope lies. So it's important that we look and examine where might God want us to repent. Some of us are so preoccupied with other people's lives that you're not looking at what he wants to do in your life. Maybe you're so preoccupied with your neighbor. Oh, stupid neighbor, grass long, he's repent. Bite of a mower. That's so silly. No, you repent of your grass. (laughs) Spiritually. Repent of where you're tangled up in your weeds. Repent of where you, you lack something. Man, there's health there. Jesus was onto something when he said, before you go judging, take out your plank. And so we've got to be careful that we don't become like other cultures and be more like Habakkuk who's saying, no, it's on us. God, where are you with us? Help us to turn. You know what's amazing about this? Is not only Habakkuk's honesty, it's that God answers him. And we're going to learn a lot. That's next week. Let's pray. God, I pray you'd help us in this moment. Only your Holy Spirit can do the things that it needs to do in hearts and minds. God, I pray if there are brothers and sisters here or friends here that, that are not combating their frustrations by bringing them to you, I pray that they would. I pray that they'd see the beautiful, unconditional, committed work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. 
that would give them joy in communing with you and talking with you. I pray for those, Lord, who are used to just speaking with some flavor that's religious and not honest, that you cure them of that, that you give them rawness before you, that they would see David in the Psalms asking you outlandish things. Help us not to accuse you, but ask you. Father, I pray for those who are trusting more in their human observation than what divine revelation has said about you and about your ways. Would you root us in the latter? Would you give us assurance not based upon what we see, but upon what you have said and what you will do and who you are as our God? But we always look to Jesus Christ as our evidence for that, that him being slaughtered for us, dying for us, rising for us is the only hope of salvation. Thank you that there's nothing we can do to make that happen, but simply trusting in you for that and leaning not on our own efforts and works, but your work for us that was perfect. Father, pray for us too. If there's places that we need to repent this morning, that we'd repent, that we'd turn away from proclivities and affections and desires that are not for you and on other things. God, thank you that all your warnings are invitations to joy. Help us to walk there. And as we observe the supper, Lord, may it nourish us, being reminded of the saving benefits of Jesus, that your blood was shed, your body was broken, not so that we could do it on our own, but so that we'd be reminded that you did it in full. Encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen.